Hello and welcome to the TPM podcast with your host Mario Gerard. I have a very interesting guest with me today, Ivan Santa Maria. He's been in the tech industry for more than 20 years. He's been an SD, he's been a TPM and then he's right now a software dev manager. He's worked over 10 years at Microsoft, he's worked at Google for 5 years and now he's at Facebook for a little over 2 years. Uh, several cool, interesting projects like working on SQL Server, Bing, the cloud programs, both at Microsoft and at Facebook. He's been a TPM for over 13 years, and now he's kind of transitioned into the software dev manager role over the last two years at Facebook. So, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. I hope this is interesting for you guys. I'm going to share a little bit about myself. I think I did a little bit of everything in my career. Yeah. I used to have my own company, so you know, you got to do everything you want. Yeah. And then I started on corporate life on all the different places that that you listed. And one of the things that I usually tell people is like name something in software and I probably I've done it. Right? From from like I'll do it and lay out like network cabling and designing networks hardware to, you know, search engines and whatnot through organizing chicken factories to like cookie factories to yeah. beauty salons to so everything from small businesses all the way to those massive services you know a big chunk of it was a TPM but I I pretty much did you know dev for hire dev on large corporations I did yeah. you know performance work and and you did some uh, SDT work as well like a test engineer at Microsoft as well I did and and there's this interesting thing that I kind of don't like specializing too much so I yeah. I, I have always been the odd person on any one discipline that yeah. I did yeah. so when I was on SDT I I did performance benchmarking for SQL Server I I made my way all the way to task manager and at some point Right, you know, one of the things that people might be curious is like, why TPM? Why yeah. did you move to TPM? Yeah, and this deserves like a longer answer, but I, I figured that I could actually impact the quality and you know the scope of what my product was moving to a program manager position better than I could as a test manager position. And I have a little secret for anyone starting. Like I, I, I want to share a secret for people choosing their careers. So uh, I'm a big believer that you should optimize for happiness, right? Yeah. And and the thing that I had when I was uh, as as that is I actually got really angry when I found a bug. Right? It's like what is this thing doing in my product? Yeah. And and the problem with that is like if I'm very good and I find the bugs, I get angry by doing a good job. If I don't find the bugs, I get anxious because I'm not finding them. So yeah. that is like I should not be working on that stuff, right? So going to program management at the time it was my way to go and impact with the features who go into the product and like make sure that we pay attention to the customer and kind of have a more rounded view of what the product was nice and it's been a long journey right for you you've as that tpm for so many years and then now you're still in the tech industry yeah full loop i started like dev and business owner and like yeah. whatever then i moved to the us as as that made the transition to program manager then the industry kind of starts specializing yeah. right so you you end up with things like technical program manager versus program manager versus product manager yeah but this is not how the thing started and and now I'm back to being a developer so it's like I did the full loop and every one of those jobs have like some pros and cons for yeah. them but I'm kind of a curious guy I like to jump around tell me so what, since you've been at TPM for so long what does it mean 
to be a TPM? How do you define the role? Yeah, so there's an interesting arc on this. So when the, the position of the program manager, not necessarily the technical program manager, was yeah. created, Microsoft kind of figured out that, you know, you, you have those big teams that need to talk to each other. I kind of need a dev manager that can walk around and do the legwork to do coordination. Yeah. And they kind of invented this role to be this integration, coordination, collaboration type of role, right? And no one else had this because no one had the scale. It's easy to forget today how dominant Microsoft was, but in you know around 2000, there was like no one else, right? So what ended up happening is like even inside Microsoft, you, you some people specialize in doing market research and they became like, oh, that is the marketing PM. And yeah. some people went to take care of features and say, oh, that became like the technical PM. And what happened is as the rest of the industry kind of caught up in size, like things yeah. like Google and Facebook, and Amazon. Amazon, right? They caught up in size. They, they say, oh, we need a role like this, but not really exactly like that because we don't have the same structure as Microsoft. And you start having this transition of the role and the separation of program managers that tend to be today more oriented towards like process and, and tracking what the and business is. In business, yeah, they split with product managers yeah. on that because yeah. product managers like go figure out what the user is and the features yeah. and the gaps and whatnot. And the technical program manager who became more specialized on uh, team efficiency, but also on more technical space. But in essence, I still think that two things. One, I still look at it as a leadership position. Okay, absolutely. You, your degree is that moves the product in the right direction. You yeah. kind of like make it work. And then you have to adjust the amount of organization that you have in a particular place. If you walk into a place that is has a lot of yellow tape, your job is to cut yellow tape and go through the bureaucracy to make the right things happen. If you go in a place that's too confusing and disorganized, it's your job to produce structure. So you get the team more efficient in the product and you know correct for the users, right? This I think is the essence of the role. Make it move forward on a very efficient manner paying attention to what's important, which is the user satisfaction. And all along the way, you're adding some kind of a technical value as well, because you see from a technical perspective, you also see what could be done, what could not be done. Is somebody thinking about, is the product manager think, thinking about X or Y or Z, the technical implications of what we're going to do or a particular technical design, which is already existing and we need to add a new feature to that. How would that technically impact the stack, right? right? So I think there's a technical aspect to that as well, which the TPM kind of is bringing to the table. Absolutely. So usually those answers are complicated answers. So, yeah. so adding to what you said, and I agree with it, is you as the TPM that is trying to figure out how to make things forward, you need to, one, get the information on what the right thing is. And you also work as like a nexus of collaboration. You can talk about two dissenting parts, diagnose what one side is saying in yeah. technical terms and do the translation in a way that they start collaborating. A lot of disagreements in large corporations come out of miscommunication or lack of agreement on what the priorities are. And the technical program manager has like a unique position to be able to understand both sides and do the translation. Yeah, there's this old anecdote that I heard that some Microsoft product, the top 20 features, most requested features were already implemented. Right? So a lot of times when you have a platform, like particularly people working on things like cloud or, or middleware, yeah. business tiers and whatnot, it's a lot about whoever's asking for you to change something, not knowing how to use it. And then you kind of have to have this 
you know, the smarts and the emotional smarts as well to bring them up and really understand what's a real gap versus a perceived gap, like, and then work that back with, with the team. Yeah. So you brought up a lot of interesting points, right? Like collaboration, communication, prioritization. And then I think more over right now, if you look at, see, at the senior TPM level, there's a lot of integrating work. Mm-hmm. When you are having upstream teams, downstream teams, communicating effectively how the APIs talk to each other, you know, timelines of when these things are going to happen and how it impacts the feature which we're trying to release at the end of the day, right? So from a core functions and perspective, I think we spoke about that. What do you think are the competencies which you look for in TPMs? It is a very varied role, right? Situational leadership is very important. What does it mean when you say situational leadership? Can you elaborate a little bit? Yes. So you need to understand the relationship among the teams or the parties involved. You need to understand what the business goals are. And you need to understand what the value system for the place you're working is. Right. And then you have to align those things. So you have to align the interests and the value systems of the place to make this work. Right. So there's no fixed formula for you to come up and, and solve something that is general, right? You, you can buy a book that'll give you some sort of a template, yeah. but that's not going to tell you what each place you work for is about really, right? So if you look at a place like Microsoft, right? It's very carefully planned. They want to know how the features, yeah. and when you're done, if you're going to be ahead, if you're going to be behind, yeah. right? It kind of like build to compete on the checklist type yeah. of thing. So yeah. You, they produce the products they produce. They do V1, V2, V3. Yeah. It's almost always excellent by V3, yeah. right? Because they kind of have this plan. You you go work on a place like Google, and, yeah. and Google really values complexity, right? You got to do excellent engineering on this. And that does not necessarily always translate to exactly what the user yeah. wants. Amazon is famous for I'm paranoid like about you know, users, whatever they ask, yeah, I, I yeah, get it, right? Yeah. And they're also very fast in iterating, right? They don't want a too long a plan. You don't need to produce a one-year plan. Get it out quick, test it for a small A-B test where there's a small percentage of users, see what your A-B test tells you, then go ahead and, you know, launch it in full-scale mode and we'll see if we, it makes sense or not, right? Exactly. So, so, yeah. so each organize. what you're saying is kind of each organization have has different value systems if you may, different leadership principles or whatever you might call it. And that keeps the organization, like helping the organization prioritize of how the work needs to be done, right? That's absolutely correct. And the reason I use the term situational leadership is not only the organization, but you have subcultures within the organization. exactly. And they evolve over time. Yeah. Right. They evolve the maturity of the product. They evolve with like what the market is doing or and, and the, the leadership, strategies. right? The leadership, Absolutely. the people who yeah. are in the executive positions within those teams, the type of decisions they make, right? Some might be overtly risky, right? Some might be trying to get a new product to the market. So every leader who comes in has his own way of working and that kind of permeates down to the team, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So that for me is like number one. And then you, you have to do the other things. Like you need to have good structured communication. You need to have technical acumen, like be able to understand what the requirement is, what the pl- platform can do, produce the gap analysis, right? Organizational skills, like there's a little bit of process for you to fix the communication and make things smoother, right? The, yeah. the least it really depends on you 
the better you did your job, right? He said, well, naturally, just move forward. You, you build the positive inertia and, and then it gets done, right? Yeah, you spoke a little bit about having the technical acumen, mm -hmm. right? I think a lot of TPMs struggle with what's the right depth or am I going to fail or succeed in this job because I'm not technically strong in a particular area? So let's talk a little bit about like technical acumen, right? Before you got to working on the cloud, you probably didn't know much about the cloud, right? Maybe you know, you know a little bit, but let me phrase it the other way. What is technical acumen and how, where do you start with that? So there are a few different ways to look at this, right? Yeah. So th there, there are certain things that are invariant. And if you have the algorithms training, like you know how to yeah. do algorithm analysis, you understand patterns, you actually did some sort of distributed system work, those things transfer actually quite well. Very well, yeah. yeah. If you work on business and you understand multi-tiered architectures and why, why, it's very important to understand why you do certain things. You understand that there's a speed of refresh on the UI that's different than on your database, which is different than the business tier, right? So if you understand this, you're going to do well. It transfers very well as you go from product to product to product, right? So there are several patterns that will carry if you, even if you don't necessarily know what the new domain is. But you, you can, I'm a big fan of using the skills you have, right, to make things move forward. I, I do work with people that are both technical and non-technical. And if I had to go and rate what I got in the last six months, one of the people that are not really a computer science person produced the absolute best impact from the program management on my organization because what she did is she actually brought intelligence about the users of our systems in a way that we didn't get. And she came up and said, you know what, I'm not going to argue with you about design, but I'm going to make a list of capabilities that I should be able to do with this. Yeah. So what she did is that she was very creative on the way she used her skills to come back and make sure that I was able to understand the message and I was able to identify where we're not doing well, right? So we partner. The best type of TPM and the best part of coworker actually is the one that partners with you and helps you do better in whatever capacity that they can contribute. It's very important to, I think, know the basics and then as needs arise, learn more in the domain, right? You have some fundamental basics from wherever you're coming. And then you slowly start adding building blocks of technical acumen as you move forward. And I think one important thing there is continuous learning. As long as you continuously, you know, keep yourself fresh with what's happening in the space and are being able to contribute actively, I think that's, you know, a really good sign. I think I can give a negative example as well. And yeah. this, this is not happening right now. So if anyone who's working with me is listening to this, you guys are doing <laughs> great. But I want to also share an anti-pattern, right? Yeah. So there's like, at what point you need a TPM and why, yeah. why yeah, some yeah. teams don't have them. Yeah. And, and the thing is like, if you're working on a tiny organization, right? Yeah. Where everybody knows what everybody else is doing, odds are, people pitch in and kind of do this, kind of, kind yeah. of do the work and get yeah. like the communication done and the goals done. It's small enough, right? Yeah. But as the organization grows, you end up having this interesting dynamic that if the technical person is the manager or the person that leads the organization, at some point, this is too big for them to keep track. Yeah. You will add a manager of managers and whatnot. Yeah. And this person now, we think the job is, is easy. It's a very hard job. You lose control 
over what's going on. Yeah. Like, hey, I used to know everything that was going on. Yeah. Now I can't. Like, and I don't have time to actually go probe and learn. So let me try to manage by proxy. And then the TPM is hired yeah. as the proxy to go around, ask yeah. people what's going on to deliver yeah. a summary to this person. Yeah. Right. And that creates like this negative feedback cycle because everybody will go poked for information tells you like, what are, what are you adding to me here? What is the value for me? Right. And you might not get the trust of this manager that hired you as the proxy because he or she doesn't necessarily trust your technical depth to do this, right? So this for me is an anti-pattern for TPMs. You cannot be the proxy of someone, right? You can identify the situation and fix the communication in a way that automatically this is clear, yes. right? Absolutely. That is great. But you cannot be the person that go like polling people one by one and poking people for, you know, status updates and think that that mm. adds value. And you're going to be bored out of your mind very soon, yeah. Very soon. Like, you're going to be miserable in your work, right? So if you are in this pattern, like, like fix it. Yeah, yeah. I have an interesting thought. You work with so many teams. At some point, a team becomes very highly performant, right? It's mm -hmm. a high-performing team. You ironed a lot of the kinks out. You set up these processes. Everything happens kind of a, as a well-oiled machine, then what do you think is the job of the TPM at that point? Because I've been in those situations where, you know, you take a year, year and a half, and then you ironed out all the communication channels, you have established good relationships between the teams. They can operate fairly well with all the upstream and downstream dependent teams, even if it's like 20, 30 teams. Because, you know, you have API specs written, you have your swagger. There's so many things you could set up that for the team for success. But then what does the TPM do after, after the team's highly performant? So there's the varying definitions of what a team is, right? Yeah. So I was lucky to receive training. One of the benefits of large corporations is like yeah. they put you through training. And one of the instructors that I had was a, like a Navy SEAL. And he was saying, you know, what is the definition of a team? And, yeah. and, and he was telling us, there's this group listening. And he said, a team is a group that has a common mission and everybody on the team is necessary to achieve the mission, and everybody knows why everybody else is in it, right? You need everybody, and they all know we need everybody. They all know what... And they have specific skill sets they bring to right. the table. Right? You, you don't get it done without everybody there. Yeah. Now, under this definition, I think I've been on a team twice in, in 30 years, okay? So, so this rare. is, is very rare. Yeah. So you, you can get to some steady state and whatnot, now, right. also, the steady state doesn't last for too long. That's, That's what right. I see. You hire someone, right? Yeah. And then you have the team dynamic yeah. sticking team in again. Yeah, people move yeah. around. There's, there's always... So what I've had is when I bring it to a steady state, there's always some kind of dis disruption. Either there's a market disruption or there's people disruption, which does not lend itself to a steady state lasting for too long. That's exactly the, the, my experience, right? So when you reach a steady stage and you think, what do I do now? Well, you know, get the pina colada, drink, drink a beer, <laughs> enjoy the sun, right? Because next week something is coming. Something's coming, right? yeah. So maybe, maybe that's the time. There's this trick I learned. It's very old. It's like a lot of people steal this idea. It's called the Eisenhower Matrix for time management. And, and this is like from the Second World War. Yeah. And Eisenhower had this matrix that you have to split your activities in important, not important, uh -huh. versus urgent and not urgent, okay? So you make this little square with yeah. like the four boxes. four boxes, 
And then you, you go and you account how you spend your time, your hours, right? Okay. And, and for most people, not everybody, but for most people, we tend to spend a ton of time on urgent things that are not important, like instant messenger and whatnot, this email, we need to reply yeah. now. It's kind of, this is, might be urgent for them. Yeah. It's not necessarily urgent for you. It might be important for them, but not important to you, right? And we tend to postpone certain things, like things that are important, but not urgent. So when was the last time you learned a new skill, a new tool, a new programming language? When was the last time you actually did like learn a new language or did any of this thing? So if you ever get to one of those rare moments where the thing is steady state, go look into your box of important but not urgent. I am willing to bet money that you have a stack of stuff that you like to get you and you didn't. So, you know, enjoy and do it, right? It's yeah. important. Yeah. It's also, I feel sometimes that we don't do important things which are not urgent because that's not something you want to do. It's something which you're not like totally interested in doing. And that's the reason you keep postponing, right? But it's still important and it's probably a good thing to, you know, look at. So when I started, I mentioned like I like to optimize my the job I pick by happiness, right? Yeah. So I like people to be very precise on this, right? So what I do is I make a list on every time I finish a task, if I'm starting to look for a job and whatnot, right? Every time I finish a task, I say, I did debugging or wrote writing code, talk to customer and say, I felt happy doing this yeah. or I lost track of the time, right? So this is a very concrete thing, actionable thing. And then at the end, you look at the list and you're going to find a pattern. So you want to find a job where you do the task that makes you happy more often. Yeah. Right. The same goes for intrinsic motivations, right? I have this craving that attract me to TPM of being able to solve a complicated problem that would not be solved otherwise. Like, yeah. in, like hey, you know, great job, Ivan. It's kind of silly to have validation like that, but I crave that. So I go for jobs that allow me to do tasks that make me happy and where the things that motivate me for my own internal values, like yeah. resolving problems for other people, like in a, yeah. in a sense, serving others, right? This is something that the, the job, the perfect job is the tasks that make me happy and the things that make me happy. And by the way, when I cannot get a job like that, I manufacture that. And, and one of the ways is volunteering. So, you know, there are years where all my intrinsic happiness or whatever comes out of volunteering on other places. Yeah, happiness is key. And as a TPM in particular, I think since the job is so, that you have to wear so many different hats and do different things, you really have to be happy and motivated, right? And you have to own it because in some essence, you're like a CEO, you need to love what you're doing to actually do that because you completely own it, right? It's your baby in an essence. Uh, let me share another trick, right? One of the advantages of doing this for a while is like I accumulate tricks, right? Yeah, yeah. So here's another trick. I manufacture victories, right? So basically, you know, my team knows this and they kind of like not necessarily happy, but I force everybody to go out like once a quarter and make a toast about what we finished this yeah, quarter. Yeah. It's like, it, it should take the form of, I am very proud and happy because we finished this and it made this and this benefit for XYZ. Yeah. XYZ, right? So so this is a way for them to look back and have like this quarterly Thanksgiving yeah. for all the things that got done. TPM and software development, all of it, dev, yeah, whatever, yeah. has a, a similar effect that teaching has. It, it, you really don't know 
if you did well, you know, on services is slightly better. But for, for all the rest, it's like, it's so difficult to know if you did well. Like, if you fix the communication for a group, how do we exactly know that that made, did you really fix it? It's yeah. like, you, you, you never how know. How do you measure it sometimes? And tomorrow there's another problem. And then you go from problem to problem to problem to problem. In six months, you're like depressed and, you know, you have self-doubt whether you're helping or not helping or whatnot, right? So manufacture the milestones. They, they have to be meaningful, but they give you a chance to actually celebrate finishing things and concluding things and, you know, measuring your metrics and reassessing if you're focusing on the correct things. And talking about that, you also, when we started, we also spoke about having impact, right? How do you quantify this when you're a TPM? How do you know that you have an impact or what that impact and value is? You better know the answer to that, right? Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. You, you might end up on that proxy thing. So what impact is? It, yeah. It's situational. What is the problem you're solving? Are you solving communication? Maybe you should have like some way to measure it. Or measure it. Like examples from my life. We had a project where we didn't know what features were agreed on or not. Yeah. Right. So a simple wiki page where you publish documents that are approved and you don't even have a process where it's like if someone yeah. disagrees, they can complain and then you move it out and say this needs more discussion. Yeah. But having just a central repository where people yeah. can find is great. You go measure the visits on it. Right. And it, you know, you had impact on this. Right. You see the number of meetings dwindling down to some healthy level. Like when people are spending more time on execution, yeah. you see this. You can measure what you do and you see, did it change the speed of check-ins or the number of times you deploy or, you know, satisfaction from a customer or whatnot. And frequently, it's on the TPM to go come up with the metric because unless this is second nature for the org, people really don't like to be measured. It's funny, right? We, we say like we're all metric driven and whatnot, but you want to see someone really angry. It's just you give them a, a bad number. I learned that doing Perf. I have the funny thing about how Perf works. And the, it usually starts like this. You show up with good numbers, you're a genius. Great, thank you. <laughs> you know, you show up with bad numbers. You, you, you Something's wrong with your test. You don't, the test is wrong. That's exactly right. And you, you prove it's right. It's like your methodology is, is flawed. And yeah. You prove the methodology and say, this is the wrong scenario. Right? So you, you have this like cycle. Finally, they say, oh, now it's too late to change anything. Right? There's, right? People yeah. really don't like to see bad news. So it's usually on the TPM to be the person that comes up with the metrics and help us track and expose it and, and bring it to light. Right? Uh, if, if that's what the team needs. Yeah, so that's very interesting. Exactly, right? I feel that every team evolves, every organization evolves, every small business unit evolves, and the needs of the team change over a period of time. And it's kind of important for the TPM to realize where the team is and what the team actually needs. Situational leadership. It's situational yeah. leadership. It's emotional intelligence. Yes. Right? Of Because nobody's going to come to you and say, hey, there's a communication problem. Nope. Right? Nobody tells you what the problem is. You are dropped into a situation. You are dropped into a team. And you need to figure out what the team needs. And then you can't probably fix everything. You have to prioritize and fix one thing at a time and probably have a little bit of metrics to know that the problem has been fixed and it will not reoccur again because you don't want to be just 
keep tweaking the same thing over and over again, right? right? You want to go in, fix that, fix the problem in a scalable manner, right? And that it's repeatable, that you don't need to stay there. And the team's needs really, really evolve over periods of time. A change in the leadership could make you do yeah. different things, right? A change in the team dynamics could do different things. There are hundreds of scenarios where you need to do different things. Absolutely. And here, you want, you want to hear a funny story? I like to poke developers. Uh, like, I'm a developer. <laughs> like, I like to poke some fun. We need to have fun with yeah, ourselves yeah. a little bit. But there's this thing that from time to time you hear that people say, well, you know, like go ask the customer. And they say, well, if the customer, if we ask them, they will ask for a faster horse, yeah. which is the famous story about, yes. you know, yes. the, the Model T and whatnot. But then they hire the TPM and you go out and say, what do you want me to fix? And they don't know. Right. So, so all of a sudden they're, they're the customer asking for the faster horse. Just, yeah. just make them like communicate better or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make them work faster. Right, so it's like you know, give me yes. faster horses, right? Yes. And and it's on you to figure out that okay, this is what you're saying, but this is what I really need to go fix. Yeah. Right, and that's where it takes all the stuff that we've been talking about: emotional intelligence, figure out yeah. what situational leadership, technical acumen, like some experience, life experiences that are also very important. You recognize, yeah. you know, where things are. Yeah. Right. You, you find a lot of super interesting people in the TPM profession. If you go in a room and you, you try to like do life stories or something like that, you're going to find like some super interesting life paths. And it was like, I have no idea, yeah. you know, that this person was like this. So, yeah, this is a big value, being able to recognize this and then recognize what's behind the ask, yeah. right, or the request that you got and then figure out what to do next. I feel personally, for me, right, it's been a very fascinating and fulfilling role. That's how I look at it. It's it's very, very fulfilling to see the multiplier effect I feel TPMs generally have. It's not a very linear relation. It's not a linear value like a developer building something. I feel TPMs have this multiplier effect value. If you do the right things, what the team needs, it could have tremendous uh, value to the organization, right? Uh, on if you, yes, absolutely. If you go on the anti-pattern, yeah. you also an anchor. Yeah. yeah. Right? You could so, pull things down tremendously. Exactly. So you kind of this multiplier that you come in and you have to be careful. So, yeah, you got to be careful. You need to know what you're going to be doing to the org, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's very interesting as well. When we hire TPMs, you really look for that cultural fit. You know, what the team needs and what this person is bringing. He or she might be a fantastic problem solver, but that's probably not what we need right now. We need something else, right? So it's interesting to understand what people bring to the table. So let me ask you this other question. So you worked at Facebook, you worked at Microsoft, you worked at Google. Mm -hmm. How is the TPM role different in each of those organizations? Yeah, so I, I think I hinted at it that is different yeah. even inside. So if you if you go talk to someone that works on let's say data center management, there's like one set of skills. If you're yeah. gonna work on someone that does some sort of messaging applications, like completely different set of skills. The commonalities are communication, making sure yeah. that your processes help, don't get in the way, like make sure that people have what they need, there's some you know efficiency there. But the essential difference between those places, this is what's common. What's essentially different in those places is 
what is the value system for the place, right? Ah, okay. So on Microsoft, you know, you got to go produce your checklists and make sure that we're delivering those things and we're tracking the integrations right and there's a time to hit the, the schedule and whatnot. You go, and there are, uh, sometimes there are even release trains, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Right. You have oh. ship room meetings. Yeah, oh, uh, those things. <laughs> oh, those things yes. are terrible. I think like more if you if you multiply the number of hours by the number of people in those scenes by how yeah. much they're paying. There's no the standing room only. That's what he said, right? right? It's like, well, so they get tired, right? And then like people get in good shape, and then they start taking forever as well. But it's, it's like if you count how many dollars we waste. Yeah. Right, just salaries. Like you just take the, how many dollars we waste on people in those meeting rooms, and you you see why places like Google and, and Amazon, yeah, Amazon, they develop on trunk, right? Yeah. So it's like, nah, there's no integration, anything. It's like you you check in, you break everybody. Yeah. Right. So those meetings are like <laughs> I have I have PT, PTSD attacks with the stuff like ah, allergies. Yeah. So but when you go to something like Google, right, there are the different value systems. So you want to make sure that you're tracking what they care. So in a place that values like you have really sophisticated technology that when you ship looks like magic, which is what their thing is. Right, it looks effortless when they put out. It's like, wow, how they did this thing, right? Yeah. It was actually a ton of work behind the scenes. It just looks like that. Yeah. So for you as a TPM, you need to integrate what is discovered into the product in a way that will, you know, shine for for user the way they want this to happen. Like, you know, Facebook loves time to market. You want to iterate fast and test yeah. and whatnot. Amazon is also uh, the customer. Did you satisfy the scenario? Yeah. Do you have like you know the five pager? It lines up yeah. to what it's doing, and you're doing what the customer wants, right? So each of those places has a different value system. There's different artifacts that you're gonna have to produce. Yeah. Be that the design, be that yeah. the checklist, yeah. be that the release. The PRFQ at Amazon. Yeah. Right? The FAQ document you write before you start your project of what the PR is going to look like for that particular project of that particular feature. What, what does Google use? Oh, man, Google. Google evolved quite a lot while I was there. And it's a mix, right? It really depends on what the org wants. And some yeah. orgs is more process-oriented and some orgs are more product-oriented. A number of orgs don't have TPMs, right? So it, it really depends on how they split the work. And that's like microcultures within each of these bigger organizations. Absolutely, right? yes. So it's kind of important to understand what the culture of that particular organization yes. or business unit is. I've been on a lot of meetings in Microsoft where they say, oh, the ratio of this stage of the, the product is three developers for one as that <laughs> yes. like 1 p.m. That type of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and at the time, I think even when you were there, probably there was QA too. Right? Yeah, yeah, ratio, Because I was a QA manager as well, and yeah, I think you've been a QA manager. Right. So you, you, this discussion <laughs> yes. about ratio, like, doesn't yeah. exist in Google, doesn't exist on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. It's really like, okay, what do we want out of this person? And sometimes the leadership will come up and say, might be communication, might be process, might be some specific result, might be lack of an integration schedule. And then this person comes in to actually solve a problem. It's not really, hey, I have a bureaucratic view of how software development works. It's more a pragmatic need that you walk in to go solve. And, and by the way, I don't say bureaucratic as a curse word. Yeah. It's like, it, it is a theory of management. It's the idea that you design the org that will yield your, the results you want, then you populate that org. 
Yeah. Right? As opposed to a talent-based direction where you say, here's the talent I have on my organization. This is what I can build out of this. Right? So there's a lot of stuff in between, but there are yeah. different ways. Like Office is famous for, I'll design the org that delivers what I need. Right? I'm going to look like my competitor. And, and then I'm going to put the right people in place. And this is how I'm going to go compete. Well, this is right? a startup, right? I was just thinking about a startup, right? Where you hire the right talent. You hire, if you're doing something like NLP, you hire your data scientist, you hire your NLP engineer, uh, NLP guys, and then you have a basic front-end team, right? So it's, you get the right talent and then you design the organization. The, the structure exactly. might not matter at all. So this is another difference, right? So if you go to an organization that's mature and is on this phase where they think they have a template and ratios yeah. is one way. If you jump on a place where, no, it's like we don't even know what we're going to do because we don't know what kind of talent we're going to attract, yeah. right? It's a completely different thing that you go add to this particular group. So summary would be that you need to understand the different value systems across any organization that you want to join. And it's probably good to understand that before you join the organization. Oh, so that, yeah. So that you have, uh, you also change a, a good number of jobs, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, you, you've been at Microsoft, Google, Facebook, and then you've been at some other places before and, that. And inside the companies, I changed yeah. jobs as well. Yeah, you changed jobs quite a few times at Microsoft yeah. because you were there for 10 years. You, and you, ladders too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. remember when I mentioned like I optimize for happiness and I say this is the, the task I want to do because yeah. it makes me happy and it gives me opportunity to have the type of satisfaction? Yeah. You know, at some point I find something better and I move on. One of the things I like to do is I really like V1s. I like the oh, idea yeah. that yeah. I don't know what to do here. Let's yeah. figure out. Yeah. Right? You, the hardest, Green most, the, the, the fuzziest the problem, the gnarliest the problem, the happier I am. So for me, V1s have more of that. So if you look at my resume, you're going to see a lot of V1s. That's it. That's what I crave. That's what makes me happy. When we finally figure out and have some success... I have an immense amount of satisfaction. You put me on a V3, I don't have as much satisfaction. And that's also because at V3, it's a more iterative effect, and the effect is much lower for end customer value, right? Because most likely, 80% of the problems are solved at a, at a V3 stage, right? You're maybe hitting 20% of the problems after that, which is, you know... I don't know. Is that duty? I, I see you there, not agreeing. There's no. I, I do. I do agree, but there's always a trick, right? Yeah. So I, you know, I said something about office. Let me say something I think is brilliant about office. So at some point, there are ninety-eight percent of the market. There's yeah. nowhere to go but down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what they did is they redefined the market. We're mm -hmm. not a productivity suite anymore. We're a platform. Boom. They got SharePoint. You always want to be on like on the top five, yeah. but you don't want to be the number one on that market. So when you get to V3, V3 is time to find adjacent markets for you to redefine what you are in a way that you're no longer the leader and you have to go stretch yourself. Now you compare yourself with the slightly bigger competitors and, and then you have to, to go do the stuff. If the organization has the stomach for it. Yeah. Right? Because I think Microsoft is a beautiful organization, right? But not a lot of organizations have the stomach to go say, okay, we're going to redefine the market. Sometimes it's just very incremental work. And that's why I think, so I worked on V1s and the reason I'm at Oracle right now is because we're building out our cloud. For me personally, it's a rocket ship right now because we are 
you know, we have a long way to go. And it's a very interesting place to be building be one of several different things. And I think that's a little different scale. I was talking to my manager like a month ago, and we were talking that TPMs who build V1s have a different skill set versus TPMs who are in a sustaining mode. It's a different skill set. So it's like some people excel in this and some people excel in that. Not to say that this is good versus that is bad uh-huh. or this is high skill versus that is low skill. I think you really need to know where you're happy and where you yeah. can do the most amount of effect because you put somebody who's very good at sustaining engineering into a V1 product, they might not be successful or the other way around. Yeah. Right? It, it, it's funny, right? Because, you know, yeah, optimize for happiness and yes, caveat, uh, you need to add enough value that they pay you. Uh, if you want to be unhappy, let me tell you, I've been poor and, and I like I was very unhappy. Uh, so, it's like people that say that money doesn't bring happiness. Let me tell you, they have not been poor. It might rent happiness. Like, let's put this way. It doesn't buy it, but you can rent. So yeah, and you need to add value on those things and you need to enjoy what you're doing because the job is difficult, right? So yeah. you, you need to have the, the things that, that bring you joy. Otherwise, you will burn out. It really happens. Going back to metrics, right, and how you measure impact, is TPMs are less objective. I work as a performance engineer, and when I reduce CPU usage by 5%, congratulations, I just reduce CPU usage by 5% given the workload. When you work as task manager and you find bugs, here's the bug list, right? Yeah. If you work as a developer and you say, here's my feature list, and say, here's the feature list, right? You can actually go and you know, use yes, all those things and yeah. count and one yeah. out, right? Yeah. So I got my communication streamline. Uh, how? Right? It's, I mean, how, how, how do you measure this? So it's more difficult, it's more fuzzy and, and, and one out. So yeah, it, it has this that's specific to the role that's different than yours. So you need to figure out what artifacts you want to produce and you want to be able to count those things as well. Cool. And that, my friends, is the end of part one podcast with Ivan. I hope you really enjoyed it. Do check out the next parts where Ivan talks about his secrets to getting promoted and so much more. Also stop by mariojara.com to follow my blog. Thank you. See you on the other side.